Emre, welcome to the Building and Growing podcast. We're delighted to have you here today. Same here. Thanks for your invite. It's, uh, I'm excited to talk, talk to you about uh, all the things about our startup, about career, and hope it's going to be helpful. Yeah, it absolutely will be. It's always a pleasure to film in Istanbul, you know, my favorite city, the city that, you know, we met in back at uh, Getir a few years ago. But um, look, Emre um, is one of the co-founders of Genoa, um, and uh, I guess we'll dive into Genoa during the podcast, but why don't we start off with an introduction to yourself and uh, a bit about your background? Sounds good. Well, thanks, Lucas. And as you know, I'm one of the co-founders of Genoa, and uh, we are co four co-founders, and we started Genoa about two years ago. Mm. And before that, as you know, I was at Getir, I was chief product officer, uh, started the product management team there, mm. and also ended up leading product engineering and design teams. Yes. You know, we were working hard, closely. That's it, During yes. the time where uh, Getir grew actually 20x during the pandemic, mm. uh, and we launched nine different countries, many different products, etc. So it was a very fun time uh, while I was there. You, you, you kept your hair, I didn't during that uh, 20x growth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, some of it, I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of it. Uh, and before Getir, I was uh, in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco yes. area, and I had mostly uh, leadership positions, especially product leadership positions in companies like Slice, Unroll Me, Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I started another VC-backed company in San Francisco called Soru.ai. Okay. And that was actually related to AI and analytics. And now with all the chat GPT and everything, uh, now these things are actually very hot. But actually we started that in, I think, 2016, 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. Back in time before all the hype. Uh, it was very fun back Fantastic. then. And definitely technology was very different back then. Yeah. It was definitely a fun journey too. Uh, and yeah, before, uh, before that... I was in Turkey, also work in technology. So long story short, I uh, launched different products and led product and engineering teams for about uh, 16 years. Wow. In small companies, in big companies like Getir or Nokia and everything in between, yes. most in technology. Uh, I have an MBA at Stanford. Yes. That's actually where I met my current co-founder. And as a fun fact, I played professional basketball. Oh, wow, uh, really? When I was in high school and college. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm a surfer. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's it. We're both from fun facts. beach cities. Uh, uh, exactly. But in the, I mean, I guess in Istanbul, the only place really you could surf is in the Black Sea. There are a few spots actually in Black Sea that you can surf, yeah. uh, which I was very happily surprised about it when I moved back to Istanbul yes. for Getir, uh, definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, thank you for that, that fantastic introduction. And, you know, I guess you, you really have done a whole lot of different things over those 16 years um, before you decided to take the plunge as a founder. Um, and so 
you mentioned that you opened up Genoa two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, going back then, you know, to 2022, um, I, I guess, you know, the macro environment was, let's say, a little bit more positive than, than you know, what yeah. we have now in 2024. But can you talk to us the sort of reasons behind why you founded Genoa? Why we started? Yeah. Well, um, my co-founder, Sechkin, and I, like, we been actually brainstorming about different... Uh, ideas, fintech ideas, etc. And then we were, uh, I thought like we both wanted to start something together. Yes. And at that time we were looking different areas. And I remember in December 2021, uh, there was a devaluation crisis in Turkey. Like yeah. the currency uh, was very like fluctuated uh, rapidly in just like a few days. Yes. And I remember at that time I was at a cab uh, and then we were talking to, I was talking to the cab driver and he was telling me that each day when he works all day before going home, mm -hmm. he will go to an exchange office and then basically convert all his Turkish liras to dollars. Wow. Yeah. Before even going home. Insane. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Because like he was just so afraid that like the, the Turkish lira will devaluate. Yes. So that was kind of the... I would say inspiration, mm. and I saw that there was an avid pain point, a huge pain point yes. for like for a lot of people. And then we dig more, and then we realized inflation and devaluation was the biggest pain point for millions of people mm. in the world, not only in Turkey, but countries like Egypt, Nigeria, Pakistan, Argentina, etc., yeah. yes. in many places in, in the world. So. Uh, we wanted to tackle that pain point, that problem. Yeah, That's how, That was the uh, uh, initial inspiration. Yeah, indeed. And look, I mean, I think it, it is such an important pain point for people because there's, there's nothing worse, I guess, than seeing, you know, the value of your money depreciate in real terms um, before your eyes. All of a sudden, maybe you could go on holiday somewhere, afford to go overseas a few times a year, and then all of a sudden, you know, in real terms, you can't afford to do that anymore. So yeah, that happened to me uh, actually. Before I, at in November, I was on vacation for a couple of weeks actually. Yes. And I had some of my savings in Turkish liras, and by the time I I came back, and it was devalued by I think it was like thirty percent or something. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that was a pain point for a lot of people, but also that was a pain point for us. Indeed, so yeah. Like I mean, live through it. yeah, I, December 2021, I was earning lira as well. And I remember going yeah. to London and uh, ordering uh, two hamburgers and realizing that that was like, you know, 10% of my net salary. <laughs> and I thought, oh, shivers. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess at that point in time, I, I started dabbling a little bit in crypto. But, um, you know, I guess, uh, uh, you know, it would be great to hear a bit more about, you know, sort of what you started to build as a result of right. identifying those problems. Right. Um, so initially we wanted to, as I, as I was telling you, we wanted to help people uh, fight against inflation mm. and devaluation. And for that, we realized millions of people turned to uh, strong currencies yes. like US dollars. Uh, but at the same time, Dealing with U.S. dollars or buying U.S. dollars, selling U.S. dollars or transferring U.S. dollars or holding U.S. dollars in many countries is either uh, very expensive mm -hmm. or inefficient 
or in some cases it's even illegal. Yes. Yeah. And there are a bunch of limitations, etc. So, but at the same time, there's a big need. Mm -hmm. And for instance, uh, in Turkey, I think back in time, I don't remember, the, uh, I can't uh, remember the current numbers, but back in time, I think 70% of all savings was in Turkey uh, was denominated in dollars. Okay. So basically, yeah. that was a huge need and demand, but at the same time, it's expensive and there's uh, high markups, etc. So it's difficult for people to actually bank with dollars. Yeah. So we wanted to start uh, a digital, international digital dollar account mm -hmm. for emerging economies. Yes. So that's what Genoa is. It's a digital dollar account where people uh, can buy dollars, mm -hmm. can sell dollars, can uh, save in dollars and get an inflation resistant yield. Yes. And also transfer dollars easily uh, and in a very cost efficient way. Yeah. Fantastic. And the way we can do it internationally is because uh, we are using blockchain technology. Mm. So it's on blockchain rails. Therefore, it's actually much more efficient than uh, current ThreadFi infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And so, how did you how did you sort of build that out with the uh, with the blockchain rails? Uh, so basically, it has a couple of different components, and the first one is it's a wallet. Yes. And the wallet is completely non-custodial, meaning uh, each wallet that user owns or user opens that we cannot touch anything, we cannot do anything about it. Yes. So each wallet is controlled by its users. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So there's one component is the wallet and it's a non-custodial wallet where user actually can, uh, in banking terms, it's basically an account, mm -hmm. but uh, no one can control the account but the user. Yeah. And the other component is since it's on blockchain, we need to somehow connect this blockchain world to local banking systems. Yes. And for that, we are using licensed fintechs in each country. Uh -huh. For instance, in Europe, uh, we are working with Transac. Yes. Or in Nigeria, uh, we are working with CoinProfile, PhoneBank, or PayChant, mm -hmm. etc. And then these licensed fintechs basically connect uh, local banks mm -hmm. to blockchain and yes. therefore when a user opens a bank account they can just put money from their own uh, banks mm -hmm. to, uh, from from their own bank accounts and then put money uh, to Genoa through these uh, fintechs or through these bridges. Fantastic and I think the point you mentioned around non-custodial accounts um, is really important because one problem of the traditional banking system in, in some emerging markets, I guess I'm thinking particularly, say, of Lebanon at the moment, um, is uh, the fact that if currency controls are introduced or capital controls are introduced, Correct. there's a limit to how much you're able to withdraw. But in a non-custodial account, you know, you can take out what's yours. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think there's two ways to, uh, like, to look at it. First, yes, like it's capital control free. Mm. Because no one, like if it's on blockchain and if it's non-custodial, no one can really touch that money. Yes. So therefore, uh, it's capital control resistant. Mm -hmm. So that's one advantage. And the other advantage is 
And then unfortunately, like we saw a bunch of events like Silicon Valley Bank crashed yeah. or FTX crashed or like all Celsius crashed, etc. In but if it's non-custodial, let's say 50 years from now, if Genoa doesn't exist, mm -hmm. users can still uh, take their money out. Yeah, fantastic. Because it's, uh, we cannot touch, uh, as Genoa, we cannot touch uh, any money in the, in the platform. Yes. Uh, so even if Genoa doesn't exist, let's say 50 years from now, I mean, hopefully it will exist for hundreds of years, but even if it doesn't, users can still get their money out without even uh, checking with us, basically. Excellent, excellent. And you, you mentioned that, you know, you've got some partners in, in say, Europe, some partners in Nigeria. Um, are you able to talk to us a little bit about, you know, sort of um, how you funded the business and started to expand? So we raised about $7.5 million right. from top fintech VCs uh, in the U.S. Yes and namely like companies like Underscore VC, Quiet Capital, mm Hulu -hmm. Ventures, Acru VC, uh, Human Capital, nice. and Collective Spark. And these are also the VCs of uh, top fintechs globally. Mm -hmm. For instance, like uh, these are also investors of Coinbase, Chime, uh, Robinhood. Okay. So all global like fintech uh, fintechs actually like these investors also invested in top fintechs around the world, and hopefully, we will be one of them. Yes, indeed, that. indeed. And uh, so, and what we what we started is like we did bunch of market tests mm -hmm. in different regions, and then we saw great potential in Nigeria, mm -hmm. especially and great demand. And we started initially in Nigeria, focusing on Nigerian market. Yep. And uh, we quickly reached a lot of users there. And in this year, actually, we plan to uh, expand in Turkey as well. Okay, fantastic. That's excellent. And, um, you know, I guess uh, you mentioned before that, you know, Nigeria, Egypt, Turkey, I think Argentina, there are quite a few different countries mm -hmm. there that have high inflation rates and, and you know, depreciating local currencies. Um, why did you choose Nigeria first? I think a couple of things. First is... Uh, inflation and devaluation was a huge problem there, mm -hmm. huge pain point there. And secondly, in Nigeria, people are actually very familiar with blockchain technologies, yes. and like they're very, uh, they're also early adopters. Mm -hmm. Also, the population is uh, very young mm -hmm. and growing, and very vibrant market. Yes. But I guess more importantly, the demand was huge in Nigeria. Yeah. Like when we first launched. In just a couple of months, we reached more than 50,000 accounts. Wow. And now we have over uh, 150,000 accounts in Nigeria. Nice, nice. So we saw a huge demand. And this demand, a uh, big chunk of the demand actually came through referrals. Yeah. Uh, or word of mouth, etc. So we saw, uh, because of that demand, we wanted to actually initially start uh, with Nigeria. And because there's also a huge pain point yes fantastic and all of us actually like uh, i mean be, uh, let's say not all of us uh, are planning to actually go to nigeria but uh, three of us sechkin and i and mira actually also visited nigeria mm -hmm. and stayed there a couple of weeks and then saw the demand and talked to a bunch of users there and then we were convinced that uh, we are solving a big pain point for the country so that's why we 
also wanted to start there. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, Thank it's, you. you know, some awesome traction. Um, and, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, acquiring those users, you, you, you spoke about a lot of it being done through referrals, um, mm -hmm. which is excellent. You know, it shows that, um, you, you know, when there's a high viral factor, it really shows that you're solving a problem well. I know that we had that at, at Revolut back in the day. You know, everybody wanted to help their friends save, you know, two to four percent when they went overseas yeah. and uh, on their on their debit cards. Have there been any other, I suppose, like real key um, drivers for you in terms of go to market? Yeah, I think uh, in Nigeria, we realized actually when we first started referral campaigns, uh, users picked up very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then we realized even some of the influencers just like published us yeah. without even talking to us, just published us to actually uh, spread the word. Wow, and yeah. then we realized, okay, like maybe we should actually talk to some influencers as well. Yes. So then we talked to, uh, we ran some influencer marketing there mm. and it was also very successful. Yes. Uh, we did a PR launch, like we uh, talked to a couple of uh, technology publications there. Yeah. And that was also very successful. And overall, again, like we reached uh, that many users in Nigeria, uh, but I think it's a combination of all this, I would say like a PR, uh, influencers and referrals. Indeed, fantastic. I mean, yeah, di diversification at the top of the funnel is, is always very healthy. Right. Um, but that's great. And Emre, you touched upon a little bit of your, your 2024 roadmap, notably expanding into Turkey. Um, but are there any other, um, I suppose, key items on that roadmap um, that right. you could talk us through? I would say um, the vision of Genoa eventually to really transform all banking use cases mm -hmm. because uh, blockchain is uh, a much better technology than traditional finance infrastructure. Yeah. And we saw that transition, let's say, in the internet. Like yes. when the internet came in, like in the 90s, that actually uh, created businesses like Amazon, for instance, mm. where it used to be all retail. But then with the, inter with the power of internet, then like a big chunk of trade now happens online. Indeed. And we believe that the future of banking uh, will go through a similar transformation. Yes. And the big chunk of the banking use cases uh, will happen on blockchain rails. So that's why, in a way, it's, at Genoa, our vision is to really create the future of banking. And uh, so that's the long term vision mm -hmm. and in the short term the way we prioritize is really to listening to our users yes so we are doing a bunch of product tests we are uh, trying to talk to our users all the time every day actually and even like users reach out to me on whatsapp all the time sometimes they call me at midnight that's oh, really? asking something so we are doing <laughs> everything we can to talk to our users uh, to uh, to clarify our product roadmap. Mm -hmm. uh, so besides the Turkey launch, we will definitely want to test some of the product offerings. Mm -hmm. For instance, USD debit card is one of them. Mm. Uh, it might be maybe launched 
or uh, maybe USD, like a bank accounts, like different uh, product offerings that we want to test. Yeah. Uh, but we want to prioritize these roadmap through our users. Indeed, indeed. And I think this is a really good segue into maybe diving into product mm -hmm. as a theme. Um, you know, you, you, I guess your career and a lot of your success has come from um, the product space. Um, and you've been mentioning doing things like, you know, collecting user feedback, mm -hmm. doing research, running product tests. I'm just wondering, you know, how we can best sort of explore those or, or maybe give a bit of an overview for people in the audience that might not be familiar with those. So um, I'm not sure if there's one you'd like to start with, but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe the, the, the product testing. Like how are we doing product testing? Yeah, yeah. I see. I think there are a couple of things. Uh, in an early stage of a product, I think the goal needs to be maximizing the product, the customer feedback. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what we are doing is we are actually building a lot of feedback loops and a lot of triggers where user can give us feedback. Mm -hmm. And there are different ways to do it. I mean, obviously there are ways like we send our users surveys. Yes. Or like we do a bunch of A-B tests, for instance, to get data. Or sometimes we use techniques like fake doors, for instance. Like, I mean, we before launching a full-fledged product, like we actually uh, test the demand before even launching the product. Yeah. And then we use these techniques to really see uh, like what percentage of our customers want certain product features. Mm -hmm. And um, in a way, uh, what we are trying to do also, we, we always uh, prioritize the MEP mentality, meaning like whatever we're gonna do, we first make it a very smaller version Mm -hmm. as the MEP version and then test that in different ways, either either surveys or fake doors or A-B tests mm -hmm. or user research even before launching the yes. product, like doing user research to really get a sense of the demand. And after we are more convinced about the demand, then uh, we do phases. So in the first phase is MVP, second phase, maybe a little bit more polished, the third phase more polished and eventually launch the full-fledged uh, full product. Uh, so I will say that's uh, our key, building the triggers, mm -hmm. uh, feedback loops, and we always, when we build something, we always uh, optimize the time to data. Yes. Because the shorter span you get uh, data from users, mm -hmm. the faster you can move, and yeah. the more likely that you succeed in the long term. Indeed. So that's what we are aiming. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love that, that, you know, that sort of shortest route to data approach because mm -hmm. um, iteration is, is key. And, you know, these days um, you are able to get data in real time and to iterate on that. I remember, you know, a few years ago we were talking about products like Mixpanel and Amplitude, you know, so that you can actually see in real time how users are engaging with applications and what their flows look like um, and then using that to, to create triggers which then gives you more and more data. Exactly. Um, but you know I, I guess we are in, in, an, in an age where 
data points are almost unlimited. How do you focus on what is valuable data and separate that from what is noise? I see. Well, I will say that's a, <laughs> that's a very difficult uh, question, actually, <laughs> and we are tackling that every day. Mm. Because in some cases, uh, you I would say you always need to uh, verify data from different sources. Mm. And you always need to have a good balance between qualitative data versus quantitative data. Yes. And for instance, I'll give you an example that as I was telling you that we run all the surveys, we track NPS, we look at all these customer metrics, etc. And we uh, saw one of the users that that user seems like very happy, mm -hmm. like very high NPS, referred bunch of friends, etc., and says very uh, like great things about us. Yeah. And but we look at uh, his his wallet, and then he has like like two, let's say less than five dollars mm -hmm. in the wallet. Yeah. And then we are like, okay, this doesn't make sense. If that person uh, is so happy with us, then like why is not increasing his, uh, his balance over yeah. time? And then we talked to this person and then he was telling us this, okay, like I love Genoa, uh, but at the same time, this is all my life savings. Yes, yeah. And then there was a realization that like sometimes you need qualitative data to verify your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And you need to balance the quantitative data with the qualitative data. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really good point because I guess, you know, perspective is a, is a big thing. You know, right. what might be for us like, all right, it's five bucks. You know, we can go and buy a coffee with it. Um, you know, whereas for someone else, that could be everything because their marginal exactly. propensity to consume is so high. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting point. Uh, quite a humbling sort of moment, I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. And also to your point, like the filtering, uh, like noise versus data, I think it's very, it's not very easy, mm. I would say. I, it's, it's often actually very hard, especially in an early stage startup. Uh, but the answer is talking at, at, this, at the end of the day, mm. talking to as many users as possible is the key. Yeah. To really. Fantastic. And I'm going to talk now a little bit about sort of blockchain and emerging markets. Um, and the reason that I'm putting them in the same box is because sometimes both of them can be characterized by uncertainty, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, in terms of regulation, in terms of, um, you know, just, just user behavior as well in general. How do you, how do you manage that uncertainty and, and build and grow a business in the face of it? Uh, that's a very good question, actually. <laughs> I mean, the uncertainty is also uh, is the nature of early stage startups, right? So that's that's kind of the key. But I would say uncertainty also creates opportunities mm -hmm. because if everything around you is certain, it probably means that there's not much opportunity Indeed. to grow or to create, etc. And and blockchain and emerging markets, I think they kind of uh, go well together because of the, the pain points. Yes. Because when you think about it, especially in developed economies like US, for instance, 
that the banking system, although it has flaws, it's a lot stronger than the banking system in emerging economies. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that case, or it's, let's say not stronger, but let's say more stable. Yeah. Let's put it this way. In that case, and blockchain actually wants to help that instability, mm -hmm. and therefore, uh, in emerging economies, there's actually bigger need for blockchain-based products. Yes. At the same time, like I want to actually separate blockchain technologies and crypto yes. or like coins, because these are completely different uh, phenomena. Indeed. And uh, in crypto, all these coins, etc., there's a lot of uncertainty about the blockchain as the technology itself mm. uh, is actually a new technology and a lot of developers, very smart developers, building on top of it. Mm. And it's steadily improving. Indeed. Uh, so therefore, and we only use stable coins, for instance, and we never touch like other like meme coins or any other coins, etc. <laughs> so we only use stable coins. And in our world, actually, the blockchain is a lot more certain mm. than all the crazy crypto coins world. Yes. So that's why I think it's uh, there are like two different worlds. Really interesting that you mentioned, you know, I guess that, that importance of, you know, the, the fact that blockchain is not crypto. Um, we did a podcast a couple of months ago with Outlier Ventures and they spoke about, you know, how um, uh, Walmart's Store 8 incubator is collaborating with them to use blockchain technology as part of, say, the supply chain. Um, and, yeah. you know, people often don't realise that the, the benefits of blockchain, you know, are, are, are you know, technological and they're there beyond, you know, just, say, financial use exactly. cases. Um, so it's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's similar to, uh, I mean, when the internet came, in the early years, we didn't know all the use cases. Yes. Or when the first iPhone came, actually, at that year I was... Uh, in 2007, I was in Palo Alto, actually. I saw even Steve Jobs talking to users in the uh, Palo Alto Apple store. Oh, wow. When wow. it first came out, yeah. we actually didn't imagine mm. like what kind of apps or what kind of products we could build on top. Indeed. And blockchain, like the previous technologies or like the other technologies, probably create a lot of opportunities that we don't even know yet. Yes, yeah. So all the coins or meme coins or crypto coins, etc. it's really a very small portion of it. Mm -hmm. But the technology itself will enable many different products that I think no one's aware of yet. Indeed. So that's why I'm very excited about the technology. That's why like, I want to separate the crypto coins versus all the, the rest of the products that we haven't imagined yet. Yeah, indeed. And I think, you know, that that really brings me to the idea of like the ecosystem play. So mm -hmm. if we think about um, uh, Zero, which is a cloud accounting software, they created a marketplace for applications mm -hmm. which disrupted the accounting industry more than, you know, people could have imagined. Um, you know, the App Store has allowed us to do so much more on the iPhone, you know, than, than we ever imagined. Um, and then, you know, other, other uh, companies like Shopify, for example, as well, you know, building out, you know, that sort of app ecosystem. 
And so, yeah, the blockchain is just opening another ecosystem. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to look back to that in a couple of years to see where we get yeah, to. I'm really excited. Even like in 10 years or 20 years, I think you'll be probably talking about many different uh, products. So Emre, you know, we've covered a lot today in terms of what Genoa is. Um, you know, the fact that you and Sech can identify, you know, the pain point faced by people in high inflationary markets. Um, we've talked about, you know, your product career um, and some product principles as well as um, the fact that, you know, blockchain and crypto should be looked at through separate lenses. Blockchain really is the ecosystem play um, and that technology will disrupt us um, uh, in many years to come. Um, I, you did mention one really exciting thing earlier on that you know you plan on launching in Turkey this year. Right. Um, so do you want to expand on that? Yeah, and I think the uh, Turkish market we've been very excited about for a long time mm. uh, because that's the user that we know the most and these are the users also. For instance, for me personally, I want to use Genoa yeah. for my on a day-to-day -day basis, actually, like more and more. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, like this quarter we, we are planning to launch in Turkey that we are very excited about. And uh, so if for all the early adopters in Turkey, I'm now talking to them. Yep. So please use the product. Please give us feedback. We are all ears. Yep. And just keep in mind that we are building the product for you so that uh, any feedback is very valuable for us. Mm -hmm. So just like it's a call for the Turkish early adopter community that yeah. use Genoa and give us feedback and because we are building the product for you. And Türkçe de söylemek istiyor musun? Do you want to say it in oh, Turkish? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. I guess more people are understanding. Okay, that. sure. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Turkish, Genoa'yı Türkiye'de açmak için sabırsızlıkla bekliyoruz. Ee, özellikle e, Türkiye'deki bu yeni teknolojileri açık olan kullanıcılar için erkenden dene, denesinler e, ve de bize düşüncelerini söylesinler. Çünkü zaten bu ürünü onlar için geliştiriyoruz. E, ve gerçekten kullanıcıdan gelen feedbackleri çok önemsiyoruz. O bakımdan bize ulaşmaktan sakın çekinmesine her birçok kanaldan yani LinkedIn'den, e-mail'den her Yoldan bize ulaşabilirler. Heyecanla bekliyoruz Türkiye'de e, Türkiye'deki kullanıcıların feedbacklerini. Fantastic, awesome. Look, Emre, thank you once again for joining us. I guess you know for the final part now. Um, are there any key takeaways that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I think um, you talked about uncertainty. Yeah, and I would say uncertainty is hard to uh, manage. From day-to-day -day basis, it creates stress. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, that's how uh, we progress, mm -hmm. or that's how we really move forward. And so I want to actually maybe final key takeaways for the entrepreneurs. Yep. I think entrepreneurs uh, should ask themselves that, are we fighting the good fight? Mm -hmm. Like, are we really doing this for a good cause or for good impact? Yeah, I think that's one thing that I'm very excited about my journey mm -hmm. personally in Genoa because every day I know that we are fighting the good fight. Yes, because we want to make uh, 
the world a better place by building the products that helps millions of people. Yeah. So that really gives me personally the motivation to deal with the uncertainties uh, of entrepreneurship. Yes. Yeah. So in short, fight the good fight. Yeah. I think that's one. And the second thing is um, entrepreneurship is actually an irrational act mm. because most of the startups unfortunately fail. Yep. And I was reading um, uh, a study that even I think Carter explained 86% of all seed startups mm. don't even make it to Series A. Far out, yeah. So the odds are against you. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but you should still do it because you have chance to change the world, mm -hmm. which is a great. But at the same time, you need to make sure that it's not all about the destination, but it's mostly about the journey. Yeah. That during this journey, startup journey, are you really enjoying it or are you, uh, are you enjoying the journey or are you learning? Are you becoming a better, becoming better at your job, uh, becoming better personally? Mm. So uh, that's also I try to keep in my mind. And this is my second startup. Yep. And hopefully we'll make it and we are doing all best we, we do to, to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also, uh, I also want to make sure that during the journey, uh, every day I learn more and every day I become uh, a better person professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. So journey matters also as much as, let's say, the destination. And we also need to keep in mind as entrepreneurs. Yes. So that's the second Take away for the entrepreneurs in the audience. Indeed. Well, look, Emre, very uh, inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing those. And, you know, we're looking forward to continuing to watch both Genoa's journey, but also your own, you know, and hearing, you. Uh, you know, hearing whether you're keeping that promise to yourself. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll do another talk in a couple of years and see where we are at. But Indeed, uh, we yes. are very hopeful about Genoa and definitely hopefully we'll provide a uh, good use case and we provide good value for our thousands of users uh, among the world. Fantastic. Excellent. Emre, çok teşekkür ederim. Ben teşekkür ederim. Çok sağ ol. Thank you, mate.